0: Jesus for us I love what the psalmist says in 145 three he says great is the Lord and worthy is his name to be praised who can fathom his greatness that's the God that we worship today so can we thank the band and Heath for leading us today he's first time by the way Heath all the way down from South Carolina I think he started hiking in the snow about this time yesterday, and uh, so if you're watching online, you got no excuses. Uh, we're just glad that you're here. Uh, I do want to show you a picture of my family, if that's okay. It's, 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 been, a, it's been a minute. This is uh, the obligatory snowpocalypse picture. Um, uh, this is Satch. He's turning seven in a couple weeks, and Baxter, he's three months old, uh, and this is uh, my wife, Kelly. We've been married a little over 10 years, so uh, thank you. That's awesome. Crosspoint sugar love. You're looking good today. Before you sit down, turn to your neighbor, uh, your good-looking neighbor. Tell them how good they look. And, uh, and then turn to the other neighbor, the one that may not look as good. Tell your other neighbor, what was your very first vehicle? Your very first vehicle when you got your license. Somebody said Pinto. Y'all had cheap parents like me. Made you work at the gas station for your first car. (laughs) So how many of you, just curious, how many of you, your first car was before the year 1990? Wow, okay. (laughs) A lot of cheap parents in the house. Um, So my first car... Was a 1967 Ford Mustang. Wait, wait, wait! Before before you get jealous, I want to show you a picture of the 1967 Ford Mustang. This is the picture. Don't laugh. I was excited. It was Christmas morning. It had a big bow on top. Now I I couldn't tell if it was red or pink or maroon. Um, I I. I thought it was fuchsia, you know? It's called it fuchsia. And uh, so that was my Mustang. It was nothing special, nothing on it worked, uh, but I'm originally from Mississippi, so it's not a big deal if anything on the car works. So uh, I, I was gonna drive it one day, and it was on a road trip. I was gonna drive over 30 miles away, it was a big deal. So my dad said, well, just make sure and add a quart of oil before the road trip. And I forgot and I didn't think it was a big deal. And so about 15 minutes into the trip, all of a sudden I heard, I didn't really name my car, but, but, but Sally was making some noise and she was knocking. She was doing like that. I was like, what's going on? Yeah, I, I don't know what, what's going on. It, it's not good, but maybe I'll make it, you know, to the campgrounds where we were camping that night. And, and suddenly it got louder and it got more frequent And then it started smoking under the hood and I was going down a hill and all of a sudden there was, uh, there was this sound and then there was no sound at all. Like the motor just shut down. It locked up and I was just rolling and I was in high school and so I didn't know what to do. Just on the side of the road and I just left it there. Um, And I'm wondering this morning, if we're honest, if we're totally transparent, I wonder how many of us have burned out and we've been there because when when the car stopped on the side of the road, it could not fulfill the purpose that it was created for. Now, I'm wondering today, how many of us feel like you cannot live your purpose? I wonder how many of you feel like there's something going on under the hood? You know, uh, my odometer didn't work. My, none of my stuff on the dash worked. It just quit, and I, I didn't really know. Like, there was nothing flashing I didn't know, and so what is it spiritually that we should be looking for? And so the question that, that's going before us this morning is this question, how do we go from burning out to building up? How do we go from burning out spiritually to building up as a force? that God created us for? This is a big question. And I believe it's a question that the Apostle Paul gives us a clear prescription for. Now, we've been looking at the Apostle Paul. He's been teaching us some really cool stuff. And if you'll remember, go all the way back to the beginning, Paul started as Saul, y'all. I mean, he was a domestic terrorist. Christians hated him. The the Jewish Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Pharisees, they used him to do their bidding. And then suddenly, everything changed on the road to Damascus. Remember this story, Acts chapter nine? In fact, everything changed to the point that Saul was renamed to Paul who became the most famous missionary of all time. That's pretty big. And so Paul gets transformed and he starts writing his experiences as a missionary which become almost most of the New Testament. And so he writes these letters. And today we're gonna be in Galatians chapter one. And Galatians chapter one chronologically takes place immediately following Acts chapter nine, all right? So uh, open your Bibles, Galatians chapter one, that's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, first and second Corinthians, Galatians. And uh, what we're gonna find here is Paul's prescription to rebuild us spiritually, to refuel us for the mission that God has called us for. You ready? Number one, there are three life gauges that Paul gives us here. Number one, we need to check our pleasures. We need to check our pleasures. Now look at Galatians chapter one, verse 10. This is what Paul says. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, what Paul is is saying here is so important because of his experience. He was trying to please people. He was trying to please all the Jewish leaders of the day in order to eradicate Christianity from the ancient Near East. He was trying to please people. And he says, this happened to the degree that I no longer want to please people because of my encounter with Christ. And so Paul here is saying, I'm different. I am a brand new person. In fact, he says this in verse 11. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by the revelation from Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel. In other words, I'm not trying to please people anymore. Why? Because it was exhausting. I could not keep up with the rat race because every time I started trying to please other people, it was this insatiable desire that could not be satisfied. You have been there? Where you're, you're trying to read every situation and placate, I believe there are four statements that people pleasers make. I think there are four statements. I want you to write these down. Because I feel, I feel like if we can state the problem, we can find the solution. There are four statements that people pleasers make. And if if this is you, just give me a little shout out, a little amen, hallelujah, um, or judgmental speech stare at your spouse. I don't know. Just give me something here. Number 1, this is big. I worry what others think of me to the point of exhaustion. Oh, right? I mean, these are people who they they subconsciously read into every situation. But like, is there some passive aggression going on with her or Why does she always like all of the social media updates of my friends and she doesn't like the updates that I update online, right? And and it's just exhausting trying to keep up with pleasing everybody. And so what do others think of me? And this has always been, this is not a new issue. I mean, it starts young, right? You remember when you're in the fourth grade And uh, you see a girl that you like in your class, and you write them a note, and the note was very simple. You said, uh, you got to the point. You said, do you love me? (laughs) You're a fourth grader. You're just going to skip out on middle school and high school and college. I mean, do you love me? Circle, yes. No. Or, which is the best, maybe. Maybe there's a chance. How many of you know every time they circle, maybe, and you're like, I don't even know what to do with that? Maybe. People pleasing, wanting to be loved to the point of exhaustion. Number two, I play criticism in my head over and over and over and over. When you lay your head on the pillow at night, the highlight reel starts to replay. You could have been encouraged 20 times that day, but that one negative thing that was said, that's what you fix your mind to. You play that over and over and over. Now the next one, I believe this next statement is so important. I believe it's 95% of the problems we deal with in marriages today. This is big. You better write this down, husband, because you'll be judged if you don't. You ready? I get disappointed when others don't meet my expectations. Ooh. <laughs> Amen, come on, I heard it somewhere. That, that Let's not be super spiritual, people. I mean, this is where we are in life. We place impossible expectations on the shoulders of those that love us the most. And it is a toxic cocktail that will fail every single time. Guys, we, we may give our wife a new car, but... She's looking for a simple, I love you, words of affirmation. This is so important. And I think number four is very similarly effective for those who are married. I can't say no to people, even if it costs those who deeply care about me. Has it ever occurred that maybe the legacy you leave is with your family and not your workplace? Maybe with your faith and not your possessions? These are all statements of people pleasers and at the end of the day, I feel like if these describe you then we may fall into a category known as approval addicts. And at some point, the law of diminishing return kicks in and we can never be fully satisfied in our pursuit. And so the engine blows up. Why? Because the object of where we're trying to find our satisfaction is the wrong object to worship. So the key is to change the object by which we worship in life and we get our satisfaction. We learned a little bit about this last week. And so our pleasures cannot come from anything this world has to offer. It can only come from Christ, which leads us to our second Number one, we need to check our pleasures. Number two, we need to check our purpose. We need to check our purpose. Look at what Paul says here. He's gonna tell us here in verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. Remember who I was when I was Saul? Remember Remember the way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul is saying, Look, I was a big deal in Judaism. And something happened to the point that I gave it all up. I was probably the biggest deal in Judaism. Nobody could do what I did. And I gave it all up for the sake of Christ. I went from grit to grace. How many of you know that Every sinner has a future, but every saint has a past. And until you work your past, you may not fulfill the purpose by which God has for you in the future. And so this is what Paul is is saying here. And he's saying that the Sanhedrin loves me. And then he has this experience in verse 15. He says, but... When God, hello, what an incredible transitional clause. How many of you have some but when God moments? God wants you to use those moments as a story to point back to him. But when God We need to use those but when God moments. Look at what happened. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. Look at what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, my life's purpose has changed. My life's purpose now has nothing to do with this world, has nothing to do with human beings. My life's purpose has changed from pleasing others to pleasing God. And that, that's where we find commitment. My purpose has changed forever. Now, let's be real Let's be real for a moment and uh, admit that, that we live in a culture and a society that is driven by social media likes, by social status climbing, by the instant gratification of impulse shopping. Thank you gentlemen for not saying amen. We live in a culture that we want to get the fix, but we don't pursue the solution. I love what Elizabeth Dickinson says in the John Hopkins Health Review. She wrote this, in our rush to make more money and to have the American dream as it has been defined to us, we end up crowding out our opportunities to have more time. How many of you just will admit that we just don't have enough time to do anything? Could it be true that our priorities are messed up? The aim of by which we are finding our satisfaction is the wrong object. Paul gets it. He understands it. And so we live in this cycle, this rat race, and we get tired. And everything's awesome until everything blows up. You've been there? Everything blows up. The marriage crumbles. The kids run away. We lose the job because we haven't been nurturing the things that matter the most. We burn up, we blow out, because we've got the wrong object of our pleasures and the wrong outlook of our purpose, which leads us to what I believe is the most critical point. And don't miss, it's so important, it's so important. We need to check Our place, we need to check our place. Do you know what happens when we create a place? That's where we check under the hood. That's when we check our pleasures, we check our purpose. And that's exactly what Paul does after his conversion. Look at what happens, we need to check our place. Verse 17. Paul says, I did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I went into Arabia. Like, Arabia? Look at your neighbor and ask them, where is your Arabia? You gotta have an Arabia. Like, what's Arabia? Why Why would Paul go to Arabia? Then he says, Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and and stayed with him for 15. In other words, Paul went to Arabia for over a thousand days in silence, in solitude, to focus, on the purpose that was before him. What if I said, God wants you to go somewhere for three years in silence to focus. Out in the middle of a desert with a people group called the Nabataeans who were some of the first believers that we know about. Paul goes to this place, a barren wilderness. Why? No distractions. When he was a domestic terrorist, he was full of distractions. He was tweeting, he was uh, Instagramming, he was videoing, he was Snapchatting, he was doing whatever. He he was trying to please the Sanhedrin. But now he's in the middle of the desert, he's slowing down because he is taking control of his schedule and prioritizing what matters most, which is his relationship with Jesus. This is so important. And I love what F.B. Meyer says about Paul's time in Arabia. He says, deeper than all was God's work in Paul's soul. How is your soul? That's what God was doing in Arabia. His profound self-reliance was torn away. No longer c- confident in himself. He was more than content to be a slave of Christ. We all need to go to Arabia to learn lessons like this. This is, church, this is so important as a believer. Not to just ask the question, where is your Arabia? But every single day to carve out time to get replenished, renewed and refueled for the day. We gotta check what's going on under the hood. Are you healthy? Are you prioritizing the things that matter the most? We gotta prepare. And Arabia is the place of preparation. You know what I find out? I I find out that it, it's it's the people who prepare themselves the most that God uses to the max. I wrote it this way, God uses those to the max who prepare themselves the most. Are you in a posture of preparation? Are you posturing yourself in a way that says God Here am I, send me. I will do whatever you have called me to do because you are my pursuit. This is exactly what Paul is doing. And we see this through all of scripture. Moses, he spent 40 years as a shepherd for his father-in-law, all in preparation. David A man after God's own heart spent time in solitude writing poetry. We know it today as the book of Psalms. Why? Because he was in preparation. Joseph, he was thrown in prison for something he didn't even do but it was his prison that became his preparation. John the Baptist, he ate locusts and he preached to rocks. I mean, how's that for a captive audience? Now we know why he's Baptist. Um, He's just preaching to rocks. It was in the desert that determined his destiny. That's a different way to look at life. Now, I wanna get real practical because if if we don't put some practicality to this, I I don't think it's very helpful. I I think there are three practices that that we need to do in order to refuel in Arabia. I think number one, we gotta read the Bible. We gotta read the Bible. The Bible refuels us. And that's why we started the year off reading through the Bible. This morning I was reading in Leviticus. It is not good for my ADD. It was hard, but it just hit me. It's like, you know, God, through this law, pointed to Jesus in his love. It's like, even in the Levitical law, it will point us to Jesus. And I was refueled. I want to challenge you to, to read God's word together. You got to do that to be refueled. Number two, I encourage you to write your prayers. I want you to write your prayers. Why is that so important? You may be different. I, I have what well, I'm diagnosed as a ADD prayer. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a serious condition. Because you sit down and you don't really structure your prayers. And last year, I remember I was just, you know, I was just distracted. You just get distracted when you pray and you don't have a structure. Anybody? Okay, nobody. All right, moving on. Um, no, I was like, God, thank you for allowing me to call on your name today. And speaking of calling, where's my phone? I don't know where my phone is. And, uh, you know, I just get distracted. And so I said, I'm going to write my prayers. And so for 2020, I had one small spiritual discipline every year, and this year, I wanted to write a specific prayer that refocused, re-energized my spirit for the purpose God had for me. And I wanna share all of it. I just wanna share a little bit of that prayer. Jesus, I choose you to be first today and every day in my life. Fill my thoughts on things that are true, noble, admirable, excellent, and consistent with your character. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear where you are working and give me the courage to faithfully join in on your work. Increase my discipline to know that Christ is stronger than the sinful desires in me. Sharpen my leadership skills that reflect the servant leadership that Jesus lived and don't allow my competence and influence to outshine my character and integrity. Transfix my soul to radiate the glory of God this day and every day. And so I write out my prayers. I read the prayer that God has given me. I'll never forget on my wedding day that my wife gave me a journal that she started writing in high school about her future husband. You know what an incredible blessing that is? You know what an incredible blessing to go back and look at my journal last year to see the faithfulness of God? I'm gonna write my prayers. And number three, I need to recall my purpose. Recall my purpose. Now in 2019, I created 10 life statements. These are life statements specific to me that God has given me. I just wanna share three of them with you today, but I read these every single day. Number one, life is too short to live outside the will of God. Every decision I make, this is before me. Number two, empower my prayers to be the power source of my life. If I don't protect my prayer life, it will get out of control and I won't have time to do anything. And then number three, my dependence is always on God and not myself. I have 10 of these statements that lead me every year. It re-energizes me. It encourages me. And this is why last week, we kicked off a 30-day prayer guide to, to write the person that God has called each of us to pray for and witness to and to journal about our conversations with them. And this morning, we, we read about, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we're all called to be a worker. Now, why don't we do this? We don't do this as a checklist of do's and don'ts. It's not legalism. This is something we do to protect our heart for the mission God has for us which I think this principle is so important for us to know because we live in a culture of dissatisfaction. This is what I find that spiritually satisfied people do consistently what spiritually unsatisfied people do occasionally. Do you protect your time in Arabia? Now, uh, some of you are kind of wondering what happened to my car. Um, it blew up, and it, it was, I rolled down the hill, and I pulled into uh, a church. Like, it was a church, a little baby church at the bottom of a hill out in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi. And I went and prayed, God, please hope that I'm alive to see my high school graduation, because my dad's going to kill me when he finds out that my car blew up and uh, I didn't have a cell phone. It's before the days of cell phones and so I had to walk like five miles to the local gas station and I remember my my dad's phone number, right? It's a novel thing. Um, And so I called my dad and he came out and he said, yep, you blew it up. I had to call the, the tow service. So we tow it back home and we take the Mustang to Arabia, also known as the Jeff Hunt Auto Shop. Jeff is known to build race motors. (laughs) That's right, race motors. So I convinced my dad to get a new motor, an upgrade from an inline six-cylinder to a V8. (laughs) That's right. You know what I was thinking in the back of my mind? Maybe the best thing that happened to my car was blowing it up. Because when I I blew it up, I got a new motor. So we painted the car, put a new motor in it. And today, it is more beautiful than it has ever been. Why? Because we protect the things in the car that matter the most. Maybe the best thing in your life that could happen is for your life to burn up. Maybe God has allowed your life to burn up in order to build your life up. That's why we have to check our pleasures. We've got to check our purpose. We've got to check our place. Let's pray together. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm wondering how many in the room this morning are burning out. Could it be possible that God is allowing your life to burn out so that he can build your life back up? Maybe it's time that you say, I'm no longer trying to please other people. I want to please God. Well, there's bad news and there's good news. The bad news is that there's nothing you can do to rebuild your life. You can do it. You just have to give up. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of your works, Put all of your weight on Christ to turn from your sin, to turn to a Savior. Have you made that decision this morning? That's the first step. When you came in, you received a worship guide. On the bottom of your worship guide, there's a connection card. And we want to help you take your next step. If you have never placed your faith in Christ, you say, Jesus, I turn from my sin. I turn to you as my Lord and my Savior. We want to know about it. Your personal decision becomes a public declaration. I want you to check the box that says, Today, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and my Savior for the first time. Your next step is to be biblically baptized. We want to celebrate your decision with you. But for the rest of us, have you refocused your pleasure? Have you renewed your purpose? Have you rechecked? that place, God, we thank you for your grace. It's only by your grace that we can live fully satisfied. And we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, real quick, before you leave, we are kicking off something that's incredible this summer called Kidapalooza. And uh, Alex is here to tell us a little bit about that. But, uh, Alex is a brand new father. He's got a baby boy named David. Let's celebrate Alex, everybody.
1: Thank you, Chad. It is amazing. I don't know whenever you walked in, but uh, for me as a new dad, it's just something I get excited about. And then I also have the pleasure of serving in our fourth and fifth grade ministry. But when you walked in, you probably saw what one volunteer uh, called a lighthouse. I mean, a spaceship, but it's a lighthouse because we are celebrating and we are working towards an event called Kidapalooza. That is June 1st through the 5th. And I want you to mark it on your calendars. Don't miss it. It is a big event that is churchwide for the engagement of preschoolers and elementary kids in our local community. I know you're probably thinking, what is Kidapalooza? But if you're kind of old school, you can kind of think VBS is gonna be like that, but we're gonna blow it out. And we are looking for 100 plus volunteers from our church to intentionally engage with elementary school students. Sign up is open online, both for volunteers and for uh, children. And if you're interested and would like some more information, you can go ahead and go out to the lighthouse today and we'll have a volunteer who is interested in helping and talking with you to sign you up to volunteer for Kittapalooza. But I am excited just to dismiss us today. And one thing that I'd like us to do is just to stand up and get ready to leave. But uh, one thing that we like to do that Riley champions the most is that we are dismissed not just as uh, people, but as church members that are sent out. So one thing is I just want to send us out into the community, into our environments, just to share the love of Jesus. So with that, you are sent. Thank you. Have a great day. This is
0: there is power in the name we carry. Every nation, every tongue.